Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 25 to 37. You can find this on page 1196 if you're using the Pew Bible, and I'll be reading out of the New King James translation, which is the same that you have there in the Pew. The last several weeks I've been preaching on various parables, uh, but I'm intending to start a series through the book of Judges soon. And uh, just for those of you visiting, the, the normal uh, procedure for us would be to work through books of the Bible. And you'll see in the second service, Pastor Philip is working through the Gospel of Mark. And so, uh, Lord willing, I'll be working through the book of Judges. But uh, for today, we're going to look at one of the most well-known of all the parables. That is the parable of the Good Samaritan. In our country, we even have uh, Good Samaritan laws that uh, protect people who are trying to offer aid in, a, in an emergency. We have a, a massive uh, charity called Samaritan's Purse that does uh, charitable work all over the world. Uh, Good Samaritan is a synonym for a compassionate person who helps others. And so it's really worked its way uh, into our culture. And uh, we want to look at this and understand what it tells us about how God wants us to love other people. So let's give attention now to God's word. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us, his people, this morning. Well, about a month ago, the island community of Martha's Vineyard came into the national spotlight uh, when 50 uh, Venezuelan refugees showed up uh, there uh, seeking help. And uh, we found out that uh, Martha's Vineyard, for all of its wealth and resources, uh, was not interested really in having 50 Venezuelan refugees in their community any longer uh, than they could. And so while they uh, presented themselves as an open a welcoming, loving community, uh, it's much easier to call yourself such than to actually be such a community when the rubber hits the road. 
And uh, before we are too quick to criticize the citizens of Martha's Vineyard, let us be honest and say that we are very much like that ourselves, uh, able to say the words, yes, we love our neighbor as ourself, but finding it much more difficult to actually live that way, especially if loving our neighbor is going to be costly or inconvenient to us. And even though uh, Jesus wrote these words to address this issue two centuries ago, and we live in a culture with great prosperity, we still have all around us people with significant needs, uh, people that struggle with poverty and homelessness, chronic illness, um, lack of prosperity, uh, loneliness, depression, and all kinds of other challenges. And so loving people with significant needs is difficult for us. It's difficult for everyone. And Jesus tells this parable to help you understand that Jesus himself is the friend who loves you sacrificially and unconditionally and enables you then to love others as God wants you to. And children, if you're going to draw a picture for me, and if we have any children visiting with us, so if you, if you can draw a picture and show it to Mrs. Burton after the service, Mrs. Burton will give you a little reward there. If your parents say that that is okay, a piece of candy. So children, if you're going to draw, you might draw a picture of this man who is robbed and the man who helps him and listen to what we learn from this. Well, let's begin as we work through the passage, and you have an outline there in the bulletin to help you. God wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. It's important to get the the context for this very famous parable. In verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Uh, We have an insincere question from a lawyer. Uh, Fascinating, isn't it, how uh, some things never change. I know we have some lawyers in here. It's all all in good fun, right? Okay, good. Uh, Thank you. Well, he asked this question, and he's testing Jesus. He doesn't really want the answer. But Jesus, as is so often his his bent, he turns it around into a question to the man. So the man says, "What is uh, the man says, Teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus turns it around. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he redirects him. You answer uh, the question. And so what does he say in verse 27? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is from Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5. And love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18. In fact, this is the very same answer Jesus gives to a similar question uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. So he's given a good answer as far as it goes. And Jesus says to him in verse 28, you've answered rightly. Do this and live. And and so we have to think just for a minute, what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, well, if you love your neighbor, if you love God and your neighbor perfectly, you can somehow earn salvation. We know that that is not what Jesus is saying. The rest of the Bible teaches us this. Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In fact, the Bible says that knowing that the law requires you to love God with your whole being and to love your neighbor 
isn't meant to be, hey, this is a way you can earn God's favor. It's to remind you how far you fall short of doing God's law. And in fact, this is what drives us to the Lord, recognizing that we can't obey on our own. But rather, what the Bible tells us is if we love God, there will be fruit in our lives. These things will come out as God works through us. Uh, John writing in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. It's absolutely essential, if we claim to know God, that we love that we love others as God calls us to, but this is a response to God's love for us. And this kind of love is a love that extends even to people who are very different from us and who may have great needs. Jesus speaking about this in Matthew 25, verses 35 and 36, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And he says, anyone who ministered to people in those circumstances ultimately ministered to the Lord by doing that. So it's important for us to realize if we're, if we're called as God's children, we're called to love in this sacrificial manner. Uh, some of you know that I attended a military academy for just one year uh, after high school. Uh, it turned out to be the greatest year of my life. It's when I met my future wife. Um, but uh, I was there uh, to play sports. I, I wasn't there because I love the military. Uh, it was quite fascinating. There were people there who, who at least loved to put on a uniform and to march around and to play at being soldier. Very few actually wanted to be real soldiers where there are bullets flying around, where you're living with great deprivation, your life is in danger. Very few wanted to do that. And I think it's very tempting for us in the church to say, well, we, we want to claim the benefits of, of belonging to Christ. We want that eternal security. We want a supportive community. We want attentive leadership. We, there are all these things we like about being a part of the community, but we don't actually want to be soldiers. We want to be parade soldiers. And Jesus reminds us that if you want to be his soldiers, you have to love. You have to love in the way Jesus loves. And so, so this is the call that we need to love. But secondly, we see here you're not naturally inclined to love your neighbor. This goes against our instincts. So verse 29 tells us the lawyer wanted to justify himself. And so he says, Who's my neighbor? It's, it's interesting. The, the, the lawyer must have known, he's sort of condemned out of his own mouth, uh, that because he hasn't loved God with his whole heart, he hasn't loved his neighbor. And so he does exactly what we often do, which is try to redefine the commandment in such a way that it's achievable, or even better, we've, all, we've been doing it all along. And so he's trying to get the, 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 uh, the parameters of what God's required narrowed down enough that he can feel like, yes, yes, I'm doing this. Aren't, aren't I a good guy? And so in the process then of defining who the neighbor is, Jesus gives this beautiful parable. And, and it's clear from the way Jesus tells this parable that true love of neighbor, as Jesus is describing, is in fact very rare. So Jesus begins describing this situation in verse 30. 
a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So the assumption would be this is a Jewish man. He's been up worshiping. He's going down. Why is he going down? Jericho is 4,000 feet below Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a mountain. And so he's going down. It's a 17-mile trip. Uh, part of it goes through rocky areas where there are narrow gorges. It's a great place for criminals to hide. In fact, um, this was, at one point was called the Bloody Way. It was a dangerous road. And verse 30 tells us that uh, as he went down the road, um, uh, there were uh, thieves. He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And, and the word that's translated wound in some of your translation, they beat him in the original language. It's they kept laying on blows. They just beat him senseless, took everything he had, and left him there thinking that he would die momentarily. That's how bad of a shape this person was in. He is half dead. And as we look at his situation, it's absolutely hopeless. How can a man who's been stripped of everything he has, who's laying there half dead, be saved? But then Jesus gives us some hope because he tells us a certain priest came down that road. Okay, so now Maybe there's someone who can help the man. But the priest just passes by on the other side of the road. He doesn't even go over to investigate. A Levite, uh, so someone else who worked at the temple, uh, he does, it says, come and look. He at least looks and sees what's going on. But he also carefully passes by on the opposite side of the road. And the commentators speculate as to why this is going on. Is it perhaps that these men feared if you, know, if you came into contact with a dead body, you would be ritually uh, unclean and you couldn't go to the temple? That seems like a stretch since they were heading away from the temple, not toward the temple. Uh, maybe it's because they were worried that it was dangerous. If you saw a beaten and bloody man there, the people who did that are probably still around. So perhaps it was self-preservation. But at the bottom, the issue is they didn't want to get involved. And it was easier for them to pretend like they didn't even see it than to get involved. And it's easy for us to be very hard on the priests and Levites. But imagine if you were in an analogous situation, if you came upon a bloodied and beaten person and you're in a, a sketchy area of Indianapolis or Chicago, you can imagine there's a lot, of, a lot of things you could be telling yourselves, a lot of reasons why now is not the time, right? Now is not the place. This, it looks like it's too late. It, it's dangerous. There's probably others around here. I'm too late to help anyway. Uh, I don't know CPR. Somebody else is going to come along and help out. And, and this kind of thing routinely happens today. Did you not see last week uh, in Washington, D.C., a woman tried to correct some teenagers who were using foul language on the bus, and the group of teenagers started to beat her and she was begging for help, and the bus driver just drove on. He kept driving with her getting beaten in the bus, didn't call for help. And, and so, so this kind of thing does happen in our experience today. We, we need to grapple with what Jesus is saying here. He picks the religious leaders of the day, but he puts them in a difficult situation. It is a difficult situation. Because at a minimum, you recognize it's going to greatly inconvenience you. It's going to destroy your schedule. It's going to cost you. J.C. Ryle, speaking about this, says that that cheap charity which costs us nothing 
more than a trifling subscription or contribution is common enough, but that self-sacrificing kindness of heart, which cares not what trouble is entailed so long as good can be done, is a grace which is rarely met with. And Ryle goes on to point out that this picture is one that's repeated hundreds of times, hundreds of times with priests and Levites, outwardly religious people walking by on the other side of the road. And this is because this is our natural bent, is not to get involved if we can avoid it. And you may be saying, well, that's not true. I I do love my neighbors. But understand, Jesus is talking about a very particular type of love. And that's what we see thirdly here, that this love that Jesus is talking about requires sacrificial action. So in verses 33 to 35, Jesus gives the lawyer a clear example of what he's talking about. And this is in the third person who comes along, this stranger from Samaria. It tells us a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. So in radical contrast to the priest and the Levite, his heart goes out to the man and he takes trouble upon himself. Verse 34, he went to him. He goes to the man and then he gives personal attention. He bandages his wound. He pours his wound. He pours on oil and wine and tries to uh, sterilize the wounds. And then he puts him on his own donkey. So he has to walk where this man lays on his donkey and he takes him to an inn where he gets into his money pouch and gives two days uh, worth of um, money. It would be uh, the, the, the value of two days work in two denarii and says, if there's any more, when I come back, I will pay for it. And the, uh, the, the assumption or the implication is that he's caring for this man throughout the whole night. And then when he leaves the next day, He's feeling like it looks like the man is going to recover. And Jesus says, this is how we love, this kind of sacrificial giving that involves personal investment of time and money and energy. The Samaritan had to get himself bloody and dirty in order for him to help. Some of you are aware of the book Marvin Olasky, who used to be the editor of World Magazine, wrote in 1992 called The Tragedy of American Compassion. And what he does there is recount how so for many generations in our country, it was the church that showed love and concern for people in need. And then over the last uh, 50 to 100 years, that work got offloaded to the government. And so now, right, we pay our taxes and a professional social worker gets his or her hands messy to the extent that they get messy and we keep a safe distance away. This is why ministries like Wheeler Mission are so important in our community, working with homeless people in the name of Christ, uh, getting their hands dirty. And our missions committee has tried uh, to find ways that we can help support that work because it's very difficult now in our day and age, even amongst the church, to get in and amongst people who really need help. Tim Keller, speaking of this, says, the Samaritan risked his safety, destroyed his schedule, gave up his money, and became dirty and bloody through personal involvement with a needy person of another race and another social class. 
And this passage is a challenge for us to think about how well we are doing at loving people who are different from us. And there, there's all kinds of needs out there. Right? We have young people with particular needs. We have seniors with particular needs. We have lonely people with particular needs. We have people who are shut in and can't get out. We have new people who are new to our congregation trying uh, to find their way around. And there are many different ways we can help others both inside and outside of the church. But Jesus says true love is manifested in sacrificial action on behalf of, uh, behalf of others. But then fourthly, he says that true love for your neighbor also involves unconditional love for them. And this really is the punchline of this parable. It's the identity of the hero of the story. And it's obviously not an accident that Jesus chose a Samaritan because the Jewish people absolutely despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans had come about through some historical events that had happened. They were a mixture of Jewish people and then all kinds of pagans. And so they had, uh, their, their, their worship was a mixture of things. Uh, ethnically, they were a mixture of things. The Jews viewed them uh, like uh, mongrel dogs. And that sounds harsh, and it is harsh, but Jews would travel a long distance not to have to go through Samaria. They would, if they uh, ate or drank with a Samaritan, they would be considered unclean. Uh, so they avoided them at all costs. And so for Jesus to make this man the hero of the story, is, is really powerful. It's so repulsive, in fact, to the lawyer, the, the, the religious leader that Jesus is talking to, that he says, when Jesus asks him who was a neighbor, in verse 37, he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan was. He says, he who showed him mercy. Right? This is his disdain for Samaritans. But Jesus here is trying to make a point with them because the Jewish leaders at that point had said sort of love was restricted to other Jews. Maybe if you were a Pharisee, it was restricted simply to other Pharisees and so that your obligations were very narrow. But Jesus is blowing that type of thinking up. He's saying if the hated Samaritan can show this kind of love to a wounded Jewish man, right, then it demonstrates that your neighbor is whoever God puts in your life who needs help that you are able to help and to love. And so this suggests that we are not to be discriminating in the sense that we decide uh, who we can love and who we don't love. The, you notice here in the parable, the Samaritan doesn't say, well, this Jewish guy is obviously irresponsible and shouldn't have put himself in this position. It's his fault or doesn't say, um, this is somebody else's job uh, or that this guy somehow has to get cleaned up before I can come and help him. What, what's really fascinating, of course, is that the, the Samaritan could have said, if this Jewish guy was conscious, he would be irate that I'm the one helping him. If he wakes up and finds that a Samaritan is helping him, he may spit on me and curse me. And even though the Jews treated them as enemies, he was willing to put out all this effort and sacrifice to help this man whom God had put in his path. I don't know if you remembered a few years ago, there was a basketball coach at IUPUI called Ron Hunter. He's since moved on, but he coached a couple of games in his bare feet, uh, college basketball games. And he did that to raise awareness 
of a particular charity called Samaritan's Feet. There's that name again. Samaritan's Feet was started uh, by a Nigerian man who, when he was a young boy, had been visited by a missionary from Wisconsin. And while that missionary was there, he had noticed that this boy did not have shoes, and he gave the boy a pair of athletic sneakers. And the boy went on to develop as a basketball player to earn a scholarship to a small college in the U.S. to come to America to get a college degree, to marry, and get a job. And as he was starting work, he realized, I'm here because somebody gave me shoes. Sounds crazy. And he started this, uh, this uh, charity which his goal is to put shoes on the 300 million children around the world who don't have shoes. You children, how many shoes do you have? How many pairs of shoes do you have back at your house? That there are hundreds of millions of children who have no shoes. And so this charity's goal was to, was to get 10 million. That was their first goal. They're almost there. Uh, 10 million pairs of shoes, which they deliver, they wash people's feet, and they do this in the name of the Lord. It's very interesting, isn't it? How loving someone who may have a need, who may be different from us, can have such a profound impact. The Bible tells us it's really easy for us to love the people who are like us. In fact, the Bible says even unbelievers do that the people who can love us back and who can benefit us in some way. But loving people who cannot do anything for us, that's the thing that's really difficult. But that's what the teaching of the parable is, that we ought to love those whom God puts in our path, wherever that happens, in our neighborhoods, at the stores, at our work, to love them in a way that honors God. So true love for neighbor involves sacrificial action and unconditional giving. And finally, we see here that Jesus loved you in that way. He loved you sacrificially and unconditionally so that you could love your neighbor. The parable ends, Jesus ends the teaching in verse 37 there, go and do likewise, which is really amazing because he's telling a Jewish expert in the law, go and be like a Samaritan. And of course, if he can tell the Jewish lawyer that, he's saying the same thing to you and to me. Go and do likewise. But is this the way Jesus expects us to hear the parable, at least the first time we read it through? Whenever we read a parable, we often put ourselves into the story. We put ourselves in there. And so I think because of the way this ends, our temptation is to put ourselves in there as this, are, are we the Levite, are we the priest, or are we the Samaritan? But notice that Jesus says, who is the neighbor? And the answer is, the Samaritan is the neighbor. The man's question, if it's who is my neighbor and the Samaritan is the neighbor, that means who are you? You are, you are the bloody man on the side of the road. And I know some of you have benefited from Glenn Scrivener's observation. It's so helpful. Why? The man is going down. That's what we're going down. We're going away from God. We're going away from his presence. 
We've fallen among thieves. We are like the bloody and beaten man on the road, lost in our sin, completely unable to help ourselves. And what are we saved by? We're not saved by religion. We're not saved by keeping the law. What are we saved by? A compassionate stranger whose heart goes out to us and who takes trouble on himself for our sake. Glenn Scrivener, in speaking about this, says, there there we are in our half-dead wretchedness. Religion has been no help to us. The priest and the Levite pass on by. But this beautiful stranger does everything. And think about what doing everything is. In the parable, the Samaritan is the one who gets dirty and bloody, but it's the beaten man's blood. It's not his own blood. Jesus Christ comes and takes our place in this horrid state. He's the one who goes to the cross. It's his own blood that he sheds for us. He suffers under the wrath of God and the humiliation that he suffered. He takes the trouble on himself so that we can be given life and salvation. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus is the one, the friend, who laid down his life, who loved you sacrificially and unconditionally. Jesus didn't tell you you had to get your life cleaned up before you could be his child. He loved you in your sin, and he saved you. And that, my friends, is the basis upon which you and I can then go out and try to do likewise. Only because we're forgiven, only because he's already loved us, only because he says that he actually is transforming his people, enabling us to go out and to love others in the way that he loved us. And what a transforming power the love of a friend can be. Our family enjoys that movie Wonder uh, about the the 10-year-old boy who's got uh, these terrible facial deformities. And in the movie, he's had 27 surgeries trying to repair it. And he goes off to start middle school after being homeschooled. He's going to face his classmates who, of course, mock him and make fun of him. But what is it that enables him to succeed eventually? It's the love of a friend. It's not perfect. The the, the friend has has to work through some issues too. But his little friend, Jack, who not only loves him, but is willing to fight and get hurt for his for his friend. And that love of the friend is transformative in his life. How much more so our Lord Jesus, who comes as this beautiful stranger. He's not from the same place we are. He's perfectly holy. And yet he gets himself dirty for you and for me so that we could be enabled by his grace to love others. Jesus is the friend who loves you sacrificially and unconditionally so you can love your neighbor as God wants you to. Let's pray and we'll ask him to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we confess that uh, 
we all love this parable and yet we recognize how difficult it is for us to apply the lesson. We, we know that our temptation is to love those who are similar to us, love those who can help us the most, love those um, who are comfortable for us. And yet, by this parable, you remind us that loving our neighbor means loving whoever you bring into our lives. And uh, we pray that you would help us to see how our Lord Jesus did exactly that. He came to us when we were helpless and uh, half dead. The scripture actually says we were completely dead in our sin. And Jesus loved us, took trouble upon himself for us, paid for our sins, shed his own blood. We thank you that he rose from the grave so that we could be forgiven. Lord, we pray that you'd help each one of us to be trusting in the Lord Jesus. If we haven't put our faith in Jesus, that you would help us to do that. And then by your grace, Lord, that you would help us to love others with the, with the grace that Jesus has shown to us. Help us, Lord, we pray even in this coming week to be faithful in loving our neighbor as ourself. For we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. And now we'll respond back to the Lord by singing from Psalm 103. Psalm speaks about the love, the love of God. He takes us as his children. He forgives us. He purchases our life. It says that uh, in here, he pardons and forgives us. He, he heals us from our sicknesses and from our diseases. He is the one who comes and revives us so that we might love others. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise, Psalm 103a.